Hi, this is Ashley at the Recovery Radio Network, and I need your help. I'm trying to raise money this week to help defray our operating costs. My storage and network costs have skyrocketed recently, and Recovery Radio needs your help. Can you help me? If you can, go to recoveryradio.net and click the donate button. It's just that easy. I appreciate any help you can give, and you should know that your contribution is fully tax-deductible under the law. One. Hi, I'm Gloria, and I'm an alcoholic. Thank you for calling me a lovely lady. Wasn't too long ago nobody was saying that about me. If it wasn't for this program, um, nobody ever would have, I'm sure. When I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was told that if I'd act like a lady, I'd be treated like a lady. And I was told that uh, I was a lady as soon as I came through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I'm very grateful that uh, somebody told me something like that because uh, it gave me hope that I might one day be what I saw around me in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. It gave me hope that one day I wouldn't have to walk with my head hanging down in shame and that I could um, somehow uh, be the kind of woman that I really always had wanted to be and thought that uh, it was a hopeless, that I was uh, hopeless, that that was never going to be me. Uh, I'm one of those people um, who um, just lost hope real early and never thought that I was going to have any kind of a good life at all. And I certainly uh, never dreamed that I would ever be invited to a place like this uh, to talk to a group of people like you. Uh, I want to thank the committee, uh, Norm and uh, Doug and the committee, for having us back here. Um, it's a privilege to be asked to come any place and share my story. Uh, to share my experience, strength, and hope and what's been given to me in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's why I'm here tonight, uh, to share my story. Um, I'm here to share with you the things that have been given to me in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. If you're new here tonight, I hope that you uh, leave this conference with uh, some hope, uh, some hope that maybe someday you can live a better way of life. Uh, If you're here tonight, you already are living a better way of life. If you're here tonight and you wonder uh, if the program of Alcoholics Anonymous works, look around this room and ask yourself, um, what kind of a power is it that brings a room full of people like this together? A room full of helpless, hopeless, alcoholic people are sitting in this room tonight clean and smiling and well-dressed and well-behaved and sober and happy. And uh, like the book says, happy, joyous, and free. Um, That's what's in this room here tonight. And it's because of a power, something so powerful. um, And all we have to do is touch into it through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what's happened to me. Seventeen and a half years ago, I couldn't live in reality. I couldn't uh, hardly get up out of a bed. I couldn't function in life at all. And... um, I'm standing here before you tonight, able to walk up those stairs, able to get up here behind this podium, regardless of how scared I am, and um, talk to you about uh, what's happened to me in this program. It's absolutely impossible. And I'm not confused about what brought me from where I was 17 and a half years ago to where I am today. 
It was the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was my God working through uh, the people in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm one of those who believes that I was born alcoholic. I know that I was sick a long time before I ever took a drink of alcohol. I was born into an alcoholic home. My father died, as, uh, died of alcoholism when I was six years old. And uh, my mother was an alcoholic, and she married another alcoholic not long after my father died. So I knew about drinking. I knew about the things that go on in an alcoholic home. What I didn't know was that the people that lived there were sick. I thought that they were bad. I thought that uh, I was bad, that there was something wrong with me, that I was somehow part, partly responsible for the things that went on in my house. Uh, school was real painful for me. Uh, I compared my insides to their outsides, and naturally I came up the loser. Uh, it looked to me like all the other little girls in my school were perfect, and they were all pretty, and they all had the right clothes, and they came from the right kind of family, and they all were smart, and uh, they did the right things. And um, it just didn't seem like I was ever going to be as good as they were. Uh, by the time I was 11 or 12 years old, I just sort of lost hope. I made a couple of decisions about that time. One of them was that uh, if I couldn't be good, I was going to be bad. Um, and that's the way that I lived my life until I came to this program. Um, another one was that uh, I just decided to forget about trying to be like the other little girls just to try to forget about uh, ever being able to be accepted by them. And uh, I just decided I'd hang around with the boys. And that's the way that uh, I lived until I came to this program. Uh, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous hating women. And I know today, looking back on it, uh, it was just myself that I hated. And um, I was afraid of you. Uh, and I thank God that today I've been given a love for the woman alcoholic, uh, a love that... Um, that uh, really uh, sustains me a lot of times. Uh, it gives me, uh, a lot of times it gives me a purpose for living. And it's something that uh, I never expected to be mine. I never expected that feeling to be mine and that kind of love uh, for any woman uh, uh, to be mine. Uh, being invited places to share my story is uh, uh, kind of an exciting thing. I do a lot of exciting things in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm fortunate to be a, a real active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. But my most favorite thing uh, to do in this program is to just sit quietly and talk, share on a one-to-one -one basis with another woman alcoholic. Uh, I believe that part of the book that says, In God's hands, my dark past can be my greatest asset. Uh, today it all seems to make sense when I can share my past uh, with a, a new woman uh, who doesn't think that she's ever going to be able to hold her head up, who doesn't think that she's ever going to be able to function uh, in life. And uh, it just seems it makes it all uh, uh, make sense when I can share wh what's happened to me in this program and the things that I've been given. Um, the first time I drank was the first time that I got drunk. I was 13 years old, and uh, it happened to be Christmas Eve. I was... Um, in a little cafe and some boys came along that I knew. I was used to hanging out with a lot of these uh, boys, but these were some that I didn't know very well. Anyway, they came and I went for a ride with them and they started drinking beer and I started drinking beer with them. I don't remember making a decision about this is good or bad, right or wrong. It just seemed perfectly natural for me to start drinking. Um, I don't know how many I had that night before I began to experience a feeling that was to keep me in bondage for the next 16 years of my life. 
Um, the big book says that alcoholics drink for the effect produced by alcohol. And the effect that alcohol had on me that night was this, it gave me this feeling of I don't care. I don't care if it's Christmas Eve. I don't care if my mother's getting beat up. I don't care if I'm bad and crazy and wild. I just don't care. And the next day I came to and I was in a strange town in an abandoned car. I was by myself and the effects of the alcohol had worn off and uh, I was more afraid and more ashamed and more guilty than I'd ever been in my life. And I was an alcoholic. I knew I was an alcoholic from that very moment. Um, I remember knowing someplace deep down inside me that day that I had found something that would allow me to be somebody other than who I thought I was. And from that day on, I became willing to pay any price to experience that feeling. Um, from that day on, all I wanted to do was run the streets and find something to put inside me so that I didn't have to think or feel or care. And I took anything that came along right from the very beginning. Um, I started running around with a crowd that was a lot older than I was. We hung out, out down on the pike in Long Beach and... Uh, I was down there in a dance hall in the Lido Ballroom one night when uh, uh, we went out in the parking lot and some people were drinking um, uh, a lot of wine and they were drinking um, uh, some uh, nose drops. And I drank those and uh, drugs was something I was never going to have anything to do with and, you know, nose drops didn't seem too exotic or uh, dangerous. Um, and so I drank them like the rest of the people were. and. Um, from that night on, uh, drugs and alcohol just went hand in hand for me. I was never long without one or the other or both. And like I say, I just took anything that came along. It just, just didn't matter. Uh, by the time I was 15 years old, I was, um, um, I ran away from home a lot. I went to juvenile hall a lot. I went to jail a lot. I got in a lot of trouble. I very seldom ever went to school. I left that little Christian school I'd, I'd been going to all my life and enrolled in public school and, um, uh, I just ran the streets, and uh, I had a boyfriend who was a longshoreman, and he lived over uh, in Wilmington, not too far from where I lived, and he used to take me to all those waterfront bars over there, and those were the kinds of places that I felt most comfortable, down on the docks around all those uh, people. It seemed like what I was didn't show so badly. Uh, I started out drinking where I've heard a lot of people in AA say they ended up drinking, and uh, that's the way it had to be for me. Uh, I just felt more comfortable in those places. When I was 15 years old, I um, got a brilliant idea. I thought, I know how I can get free. I hated my stepfather, and I was ashamed of my mother. I hated where we lived and all the things that went on there. I hated anybody telling me what to do, and especially my stepfather. And um, so I thought I needed to be free. I thought, I'll just get married, and I'll be free. Little did I know. Um, I married an older man. He was 19 and I was 15. <laughs> and we were going to live happily ever after. Uh, the trouble was I married this longshoreman and as soon as we got married he wanted me to stay home and be Betty Crocker. And uh, he would keep going out to all these bars having all this fun. I didn't like that idea but I didn't think I had any choice in the matter. So I tried to do what he wanted me to do. I tried to stay home and, um, and do the things that... Um, that I assumed women did in the home. Um, I didn't really know. I didn't really have any real idea of what goes on in normal homes. 
and uh, I just couldn't make it. I was full of fear. By this time, I was 16 years old, and I was scared to death all the time when I wasn't uh, under the influence of something. I can remember uh, 16 years old, uh, scared to go out to the market in the afternoon, afraid to walk down the street because I always thought a car was going to come up on the sidewalk and hit me. I was just scared to death when I didn't have anything inside me. And uh, when I was drinking, uh, I could run the streets of Wilmington and San Pedro, all those docks and anywhere. It just didn't matter where it was, in and out of bars, all by myself, all night long. And um, um, it just, I just didn't, wasn't afraid. Uh, I didn't care about anything. Once I take a drink of alcohol, I'm out of control. I've never been one of those kind of people who... Um, just drinks to be the life of the party. Uh, I've never been one of those people that just drinks to function uh, because I never function very well. Once I take a drink, uh, anything that comes into my head is what I do. And um, I, um, I always get in a lot of trouble. Uh, I don't understand being able to say, well, I'm not going to drive a car tonight because I might get a 502. Uh, I don't understand being able to say, I'm not going to go out of the house tonight because I might get in trouble. I used to wish to God that I could stay in the house, uh, but I couldn't. I'm a runner, and, um, and I just, when I drink, I run. Uh, I stayed married to this man for uh, close to three years, and nothing much happened except I just got three years sicker. And towards the end of the marriage, I had a son, and one day I just picked him up and walked out, and I, I didn't look back. I didn't give it a thought as to what I was doing to my husband or what I was doing to my son, uh, least of all what I was doing to myself. And I went back to my mother's house. By this time it seemed better to be there than where I'd been. And um, I was there one night and uh, drinking by myself, and I got thinking about one of these old friends of mine, one of these guys I'd known since I was 11 years old. I went over to see him, and he was glad to see me, and I was glad to see him. And uh, we went out that night, and we started seeing each other every night after that. And we really had a good time together. We'd always been friends, good friends. And uh, he seemed to like me just the way that I was. He didn't want to try to tell me not to drink so much or don't do this, don't do that. Uh, he just liked me just the way I was, and it was good to be with him. And we thought that um, that we had it made because we'd both been married before, and neither one of us ever wanted to be married again. And so we thought we can just go out and have fun. We both liked doing the same thing, which was absolutely nothing, um, <laughs> except uh, riding around in his car drinking. Uh, uh, anyway, we'd been seeing each other about five months, and we decided to get married. And so he hocked his, his fishing pole for money for a marriage license. And uh, I uh, got an annulment because I'd been married in Mexico. And we got married. And he tried to work at first, and I'd cry and beg him to stay home. I was 19 years old by this time, and I was uh, afraid to be by myself. I couldn't stand being by myself alone with my thoughts uh, for very long a time. And so I'd want him around all the time. As long as he was around and I had something to drink, I was fine. So I'd beg him to stay home, and he'd, he'd want to be nice and stay home with me. And pretty soon he got used to the idea, and he never did go to work. Um, working, uh, finding a job was always the last resort in our house. Uh, when all the other things wore out, uh, he would uh, get a job for a short period of time, long enough to get a back injury so that he could collect, un uh, collect disability or um, maybe uh, work up a, an unemployment claim so he could collect an unemployment check for a while. Uh, sometimes we lived on welfare. Sometimes we hustled my family for money or anybody else who was close by. He'd rob and steal. We just did whatever we had to do uh, to get by um, short of work. We worked harder at not working than most people work at working. 
we began to have children. We had a son and then we had a daughter. So now I've got three children and um, uh, life became a real hell for me and everyone concerned. Uh, I never uh, ever wanted to raise uh, my children um, the way that I had been raised. And uh, they were living in a home uh, probably a lot worse in a lot of ways uh, than the one I'd been raised in. And um, there was never enough money for, uh, for alcohol and for drugs and for uh, the things that these children needed. And so naturally uh, they came last. And um, anything that, uh, any time that it got real bad and everything just ran out, all the money ran out, well I would just leave them with my mother-in-law and run. And that's just the way it was. Uh, that was my pattern, and uh, uh, my kids spent most of their uh, early lives with their grandmother. Uh, my oldest son moved back with his father when he was about nine years old because he hated being with me so much. Um, eventually, my husband and I um, left town on a Greyhound bus, and we ended up riding around California and Oregon on Greyhound buses and staying in rescue missions and Salvation Armies, and... Um, uh, that's the way it was. And I can tell you that I felt much more comfortable uh, living around on those skid rows than I ever felt uh, in my home, in my church, uh, in my family's home. Uh, more comfortable there than I'd ever felt any place in my life. At least I didn't have to pretend. I didn't have to try to be like the lady next door. I didn't have to try, try and show up in the supermarket and uh, be what looked like what I thought those other women were. Uh, I used to feel uh, just so out of place every place that, that a group of women were assembled and especially uh, when I'd have to take my kids uh, it, to, do, to go to school or to do anything with them in school. I never did a thing with my children in school, nothing, uh, drunk or sober. I've never been able to bring myself to be a part of anything in their lives until just the last few years of my sobriety and it's important to me today. Uh, to be um, to be part of their lives because they grew up uh, without a mother present. Uh, it used to uh, uh, tear me apart to have to show up at school and uh, enroll my kids in school and try to fill out all those papers and answer all those questions and uh, answer when they had this vaccination and that vaccination and I didn't know the answer. I didn't know when they had the, those things done. I didn't know when they had this sickness or that sickness. And I felt so so guilty and so ashamed uh, that I'd have to just uh, scribble something down and get out of there as fast as I could and I could never go to their their room and meet their teacher or do any of that kind of stuff and um, I know there are women sitting in this room uh, tonight that have experienced that same kind of uh, uh, shame and that same kind of guilt and uh, I, I uh, pass this on to you uh, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the God that I found here is very powerful and the examples that I follow here are very powerful and uh, there will come a day when you won't have to walk with your head down you won't have to carry that shame and that guilt there will come a day when your life will come together and uh, you'll stand up and you'll feel uh, at ease with anybody you meet and it won't bother you one bit to talk about your children when I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous if somebody asked me if I had any kids I used to have to just make some smart remark or I'd begin to cry and I'd just have to run off uh, and get away from them because I couldn't I couldn't stand to talk about my kids at all um, Eventually, my husband and I came back to Long Beach, and uh, by this time, he was a cook and I was a waitress, and we had a, a job in a little truck stop on the west side of town. We had the same shift and the same day off, 
and uh, we lived in a little wino motel and we'd go to work every morning and come home every night and according to how many tips I made that day uh, that's what we did that night and whoever was around whoever we ran into sometimes we'd go out to a bar and drink sometimes we'd just go to somebody's house and shoot heroin sometimes we'd get uh, pills or uh, it just just sometimes we'd just get a bottle of wine and stay in our room it just uh, all depended on what was going on around I was just kind of like a leaf blowing in the wind just whatever came along that's what I did and um, uh, he got arrested um, during this time and uh, he'd been gone to jail a lot of times before and every time he went away I always got in a lot more trouble than I did uh, when he was with me because I was totally incapable of taking care of myself and um, it turned out he was going to be gone for six months and this time it was going to be different I really wanted it to be different I wanted to show him that I, I could be good and that I could take care of myself and I decided that I wouldn't drink uh, and I would keep this job, uh, this waitress job that I had, and um, and I would be good, and I'd show him that I could be a grown-up woman. And that lasted for about a week. And uh, I came in one night, and I wanted a drink, and when I wanted a drink, I took a drink. And I started drinking, and I started running as usual, and I ran into some people that I'd known a long time before, and they were uh, robbing stores and using heroin, and that's what I started doing with them. Uh, before long, I found myself driving the car for these robberies night after night, and uh, I didn't come out of the house until the sun went down. I couldn't stand to be out in the daylight. I couldn't stand to have anybody see me. And I lived in a life of total fear and confusion and, um, and shame, and uh, uh, I don't ever want to have to live that way again, and I know that I don't have to as long as I stay in this program and do the things that are asked of me here and follow the book Alcoholics Anonymous I know I don't ever have to go back out on those streets and, and suffer the humiliations that I suffered as an alcoholic woman I know what it's like to be sitting on a bus bench in downtown Long Beach not knowing where I've been or where I'm going I don't know who I've been with I don't know what's happened I don't know anything I'm a blackout drunk and I just wander the streets and, and, uh, and things happen to women like me and uh, I know that I don't ever have to go through that humiliation again as long as I live. And today I live a clean life, and I love it that way. I'm willing to do anything I have to do today uh, to, to maintain this feeling of, of, uh, of, um, of uh, being clean inside. Uh, this lack of shame that I found here, this lack of hopelessness. I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, just like the book said I would just like those other people did that's what's happened to me and if you're new here tonight that's going to happen to you too you get a sponsor and you get a home group and you do the things that are outlined in the book Alcoholics Anonymous and you get active and you give of yourself and one day you'll notice you'll look around and you'll notice that you feel just as good as every other person in the room and you'll notice that you feel useful and you have a purpose for living and you don't ever have to um, you don't ever have to go back out on the streets and, and live that way again um, I um, eventually got arrested for these robberies and they kept me in jail three days and then they had to let me go because they didn't have anybody enough evidence to hold me that nobody could identify me I just drove the car and uh, when I got out this room I'd been staying in was locked up and I didn't have any place to go it had been years since my family would have anything to do with me and any, any friends I had that, that would still have anything to do with me were locked up and so I thought of my first husband and uh, I called him up and I told him that, um, that I was in trouble and I needed a place to stay. And he said I could come over if I didn't cause any trouble. I thought that took a lot of nerve on his part, say something like that to me after all this was all his fault. 
I always had somebody to blame for everything. Uh, it wasn't until I got sober in this program uh, that uh, I found out that if I'd learned to take responsibility for my own actions, that I would find freedom within myself, and I can pass that along tonight. Uh, thank God the people that I ran into when I was new weren't afraid to tell me the truth, and they weren't afraid to hurt my feelings. They just told me, you can just take the word blame out of your vocabulary um, and quit blaming everything on somebody else. Take responsibility for your own actions, and you'll be able to stand up straight, and you'll be able to uh, be free within yourself. And I can tell you that's the truth today. I've been through a lot of painful situations in my sobriety, uh, where a lot of situations where it would have been a lot easier to say that it was someone else's fault. Uh, but because of these people, uh, I've been able to um, uh, look at a painful situation and do what I have to do about it through the steps and then close the door and walk on. And I don't have to be uh, bound by hate and uh, resentment uh, anymore. I don't have to uh, feel the way that I felt before I came to this program. I went over there and um, there was all I wanted to drink and I started pouring it down bottle after bottle after bottle and um, finally the thing happened to me that I believe happens to every alcoholic who's ever given the gift of sobriety. Uh, I got to a place where it just simply didn't work for me anymore. Uh, no matter how much I drank, uh, it, didn't, it, didn't, um, it didn't take me to oblivion anymore. It didn't turn off the shame and the guilt and the fear. and. Uh, one day I came to and I was yellow and I knew I had hepatitis. Uh, I'd had it twice before and the doctors told me that if I ever got it again I'd die. And I laid on a dirty, filthy bed in this apartment and uh, just thinking I was going to die. And when I heard people out in the other room I, I uh, didn't show my face. And, um, and there I stayed for I don't know how long. I don't know how long I was over there in that place. Uh, I don't know what happened while I was over there. Um, uh, that's just the way that it was. Uh, after I got sober, um, I had to pick out a sobriety date for myself because I don't know, uh, I didn't know the exact date that I took my last drink. And uh, when I was uh, in a recovery house, it, people started asking me what my sobriety date was and I had to figure one out uh, with my sponsor. And um, the way I was able to figure it out was that I remembered an experience that I'd had over there in that apartment. Uh, one day I heard voices out in the other room and um, I realized they were singing happy birthday to my son and uh, I, w I remembered that I was too sick to get up off the bed and go out and wish my own child a happy birthday and uh, that's the kind of humiliation and that's the kind of shame uh, that keeps me uh, actively involved in this program um, like I say I don't ever want to have to go back out on the streets and live the way that I was living and um, this, um, this man, my first husband, um, told me that he'd send me up to Harbor General Hospital in a cab and then that would be all he was going to do for me. And so I found myself riding up to a county hospital alone to die. And my mother had died in that hospital a few years before that time of alcoholism. And I remembered that day and I remember this day uh, what it was like uh, for a woman uh, dying in that hospital of our disease. Uh, I happened to be uh, sober at the time and she was in there for about three weeks and I spent uh, almost all the time up there with her. And um, I remember how afraid she was and how she'd uh, uh, 
lose consciousness and cry out and ask me if she was going to die and I didn't know what was going to happen to her and I was as scared as she was. And uh, I knew that day driving up there in that cab that that, that was going to be my experience. I just knew I was going in that hospital to die. Um, I stood in the waiting room of Harbor General Hospital and I had on a pair of black Levi's that I'd been wearing for a couple of months and uh, a man's shirt and I was bright yellow and I was skin and bones. I was 29 years old and as far as I knew my life was over. And they put me in a room and started examining me and they did a biopsy on my liver. And the doctor came and told me that my liver was so badly damaged that I wouldn't live over uh, three years if I kept on going the way I was going. And I wouldn't live over five even if I didn't drink any alcohol again. And so I laid awake that night thinking about dying. And I always thought that's what I wanted. I always thought I wanted out. And I realized now that was just some more self-pity. I was always feeling sorry for myself. Um, that night... Uh, I remembered uh, what my grandmother told me uh, happens to people like me when they die. And I got absolutely terrified. I got absolutely desperate uh, to stay alive. Not for any honorable reason, but just simply because I was afraid to die. And I did that night what I believe uh, every human being on this earth will do. When there's no, no place else to turn, uh, I believe that we will go to our Creator. And uh, that's what I did that night. Um, I just said a, a, a real short, simple prayer, and that was just let me please just stay alive. It had been a long time since I wanted anything to do with God, a long time. Uh, I had uh, a, a God that I was scared to death of, uh, that I had um, acquired somewhere in my childhood. I don't know, uh, I don't know how. Uh, I doubt if anybody told me that God hated me. I doubt if anybody taught me that anything but that God loved me, but I didn't hear it that way. I, I hated myself so badly, I guess I just must have believed that he hated me too. And I just thought, I won't uh, ask him for anything, and I won't get his attention on me, and we'll be fine. Um, I had an absolutely childish fear of God, but that night it didn't seem to matter. I was desperate, and I just wanted to keep on breathing. And that night I had what I believe to have been a spiritual experience. I believe that it was the first of many spiritual experiences. I believe that uh, uh, we are uh, having spiritual experiences uh, more often than we realize. Every time I uh, uh, see a little bit of truth about myself um, and about the world around me, I believe that's a spiritual experience for me. Uh, this night was was the first, and it wasn't the result of the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was just the result of a very loving God showing me a little bit of truth about myself. Um, the next day, the doctor came into my room, and he had a big smile on his face, and he said, Well, you're not going to die. He said, We've made a mistake. That shows you how much we know about the human liver. Ha, ha, ha. And he was all cheerful and happy. I thought, God, I've spent my night reforming, and this guy's made a mistake. Today, I, I know it wasn't a mistake. Um, I know that my God doesn't make mistakes. I think that it was just his hand pushing me a little closer to a place where I could surrender to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous when it came my way. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. Alcoholics Anonymous came to me in the hospital. I stayed in that hospital for a while longer, and then they moved me to Long Beach to another hospital. And it was there that I started going to AA meetings. I had seen AA meetings... Um, uh, long before that, uh, my mother tried to go to Alcoholics Anonymous when I was just a little girl. And of course I didn't know what was here. I just remembered that it was kind of a happy place to be and I used to be glad uh, that we were going there uh, that night. And um,
I really thought he needed it. I, I, it wasn't for me, but he needed it. Uh, of course, I didn't hear anything then. Uh, but this guy that uh, he started coming around to my room and telling me about the AA meetings that they had in that hospital. And I don't know to this day how he got started coming around to my room, and he doesn't know either. The last time I saw him, I asked him how he, why, what made him start coming telling to talk to me about AA, and he couldn't remember either. He doesn't stay sober all the time, and I don't know where he is. I haven't seen him for a few years. But he was uh, an angel in my life. I happen to have a thing for angels, and uh, I was told one time um, on a retreat that angels are messengers of God, and I believe that this guy carried uh, God's message to me, and I believe that he was just the first of many angels uh, in this program who've come to me and carried God's message. Um, he was a new member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and you know how they are. They just uh, want to save the world. And he was out to save me. He just, I thought he was a pest at first and I just tried to get rid of him and he just kept coming back and telling me about, he'd read all these cards and letters that people were sending him. He was a patient in the hospital too. And um, anyway, finally one night, uh, just to shut him up, I went to a meeting with him. And I sat around a table full of people much like yourselves and um, I don't remember what was said that night, but I do remember the way that it felt. It felt safe and warm and gentle and loving and I didn't have those labels to put on it that night but um, but I know that that's what it was now I just knew that it felt good and I kept going back to those meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous for exactly the same reason that I, I uh, kept uh, going back to alcohol because I liked the way that it felt and eventually I began to hear some things in those in those meetings they had two a week in that hospital and um, I began to hear some things that um, that I believe uh, allowed me to become a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. One of them being uh, somebody told me that I was not bad, that I was sick. And they said that Alcoholics Anonymous is not a place where bad people come to get good. It's a place where sick people come to get well. And they told me that uh, I could get well if I wanted to. They told me I could get well if I do the things that were outlined in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. They told me that uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is not a place for people who need it. It's a place for people who want it. And all I had to do was want it. And eventually, uh, at some time during that stay uh, in, in that hospital, I developed a desire to stay sober. I don't know when that happened either. I just know that when it got time for me to leave, I didn't want to go. And it turned out the reason I didn't want to go was that I knew I'd go out there and drink and do the things that I'd been doing, and I, I realized I didn't want to do that anymore. Uh, I, had, uh, I had received the gift. I had received this desire for sobriety. And uh, God had sent all these people, just exactly the right people, just exactly the right people to come and bring this program to me. And uh, he took me to just the right places uh, then and he does right now. He brings just the right people into my life. He takes me to just the right places. Uh, I'm just everywhere that I'm supposed to be. And um, I believe that more and more and more in my life. Uh, I believe that everybody in this room is going to run into just the right people and hear just the right things and go to just the right places if they practice uh, the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, the man who was secretary of one of the meetings told me about a woman's recovery house and I'd never heard of such a thing. He told me it was where a bunch of women lived and um, they went to AA meetings and, um, and just kind of lived in this house until they got better. And I know that I was surrendered because I was willing to go live in a house full of women. Uh, 
I, I moved in to that house, much to my surprise. Uh, I first of all had to interview with the house mother, and um, he told me we'd go over there and I'd have to have an interview with her. And of course, um, I knew that she was going to start asking me a bunch of questions and I wouldn't have the right answers, and I just assumed that she wouldn't let me move in there with all those nice girls. Um, I was very pleasantly surprised because I got there and I sat across the room from this lady who just smiled all the time and she said, do you want to come and move in with us, honey? And I said, yes, I do. And she said, okay, you can move in tomorrow. Just like that. <laughs> Nobody asked me how much money I had or where I'd been or where I was going. Uh, nobody asked me what my morals were, uh, nothing. I didn't have to fill out anything, nothing. I just moved into that house, and the women there began to love me well. Uh, I began to see the program of Alcoholics Anonymous in action. I began to see people living the, the things that I'd heard them talking about in these AA meetings in the hospital. Um, I remember the day, I remember a lot of days in that house, and I remember a lot of experiences in that house, and when I look back on them now, they seem so amazingly simple. The little things that meant so much to me, just teeny little things, it seems now that they were so simple and so small, but at the time, they were the things that, that lit my spirit up and gave me hope. Uh, one day I was trying to carry a bowl of cereal, they told me I had to eat uh, uh, breakfast every morning. I don't know, I couldn't tell you the last time I'd had breakfast. And I didn't want to eat breakfast, but I didn't want to leave that house, and so I did everything they told me to do. And so I was trying to carry a bowl of cereal to the, uh, to the kitchen table, and uh, I was shaking so bad that the milk was spilling all over the floor. And uh, I'll never forget the girl that came up and put her arm around me and said, you won't shake like that very much longer. Um, you just stay here and uh, we'll take care of you and you're going to get well. And um, I'll never forget the day that, um, that I got a little bit concerned for another girl in that house. Uh, they brought a girl over from Catalina Island, a, uh, an island off the coast of where we live. And um, she was too sick to go to the meeting with us that night. And she, when I came back to the house from the meeting that night, she was crying. And I remember feeling... Uh, sad for her because I knew that she, how alone she must feel. I knew what it was like to feel alone. I know what it's like to feel lonely and isolated uh, from the whole world and I knew how she must feel and I was sorry that she couldn't have gone to the meeting with us. And the next day I was concerned about her. I actually found myself wondering how she was and hoping that she'd stay sober. I don't know whether she ever stayed sober or not. The last time I saw her she was drinking. Um, but I hope that she's sober today. There were just a lot of little things. There was a little sign next to the coffee pot in the dining room of this house, and it said, Smile, God loves you. And I'll never forget the day that I noticed that little sign and how much it meant to me. Nobody had ever said, Smile, God loves you to me. Uh, I had never thought about God loving me at all. And uh, little things like that just began to um, wake my spirit up. Little things like that began to give me hope. Watching those women that came into those meetings in the house, watching how they held themselves and how they dressed, the way they carried themselves just impressed me so much. Uh, they talked about where they'd been and what had happened to them and what Alcoholics Anonymous had done in their life. And I noticed one very important thing, and that was that there was no shame in their face. There was no shame in their eyes when they were talking to us about where they'd been and what had happened to them. And uh, it was just simply they were sharing with us in hopes that we might be able to find what they had found. And um, 
and I was impressed. And I got filled full of hope in that house. I got filled full of uh, anticipation and excitement for life. I actually got to the point where I'd look forward to the day. We studied the book Alcoholics Anonymous every morning in that house, and we'd have a little meeting every single morning, and a meeting every night we'd go outside and, and see the outside uh, AAs. And they'd all seem to be happy to see us, and they'd come and and put their arm around me and pat me on the back and and, and uh, say they were glad to see me and, and they'd say, you're going to make it, you're going to be all right and uh, you're going to do good. And I'd think, I'd cringe and I'd think, God, if they only knew how bad I am, if they only knew where I've been and what I've been doing, they wouldn't be able to have faith in me like this. Uh, today I look back and I know that it wasn't faith in me that they had. They were members of Alcoholics Anonymous and they knew how this program works and they knew that it would work for me. It was the program that they were having faith in. It wasn't me. And they were just sharing that faith in this program with me. And, uh, and they began to give me faith. We had a meeting in that house once a week uh, where a man would come in and talk to us um, about the program. And one day he said, um, I want you girls to close your eyes and imagine what you would do if God walked into the room right now. Who would he be? What would he do? And I closed my eyes and of course at first I was afraid. And um, then I began to think of my father and I began to think of God as my father. My father had been gone a long time and it was easy for me to pretend about a father. And that's who God became for me that day. He became a loving father. And that's who he is for me today. He's a very loving, gentle father. And he's, he's, uh, he's given me a life beyond, beyond anything I ever dreamed of in a very loving, a very gentle way. Uh, he's shown me, um, he's shown me so many things in life, um, through the people of Alcoholics Anonymous. My God talks to me through people. And he shows me how to act through people. I began to act the way that I saw these other women acting that I saw in the meetings and in this house. I knew that, uh, I knew that something had to be done about the way that I, uh, dressed, the way that I walked, the way that I talked, the way that I acted, uh, the way that I related to everybody around me. I knew that that had to change and I couldn't be that way anymore. And, uh, um, and I was afraid, scared to death to have to go back out and be the person that I was. And so I just became everybody else. I just started acting, copying what everybody else did, all these other women. And um, eventually uh, there came a day when, when I, uh, I began to find out a little bit about who I was. And I began to uh, find out uh, to be just me. Uh, I didn't have to be them anymore. Uh, but that took a long, long time. That took a period of, of uh, long years. Uh, it was a long walk uh, from uh, where I was 17 and a half years ago to where I am today. It's been a long walk to be able to stand up here and hold my head up, believe me. And every day that brought me here hasn't been a day that felt wonderful, believe me. Uh, every day hasn't felt good. Uh, it's just that uh, every day has been a day full of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's why I'm here today. That's why I'm sober here today and able to stand up here and uh, tell you what's happened to me. I wrote a letter to my husband and I told him where I was and what I was doing. And he wrote back to me and told me that he was going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings in jail. And so for one of us to find sobriety, 
uh, in this program was miraculous, but for both of us to find it at the same time was more than anybody could hope for. And we started writing letters back and forth and sharing what we were learning. And uh, I didn't know if we were going to be able to stay married. Uh, we'd been married 10 years and uh, known each other since we were 11 years old. And we'd never been able to stay sober uh, and we didn't know if we could stay sober together now in the program. And for me, Alcoholics Anonymous became uh, the most important thing in my life because I had to have sobriety. I wanted sobriety, and I had to have it. And I was willing uh, to go to any lengths for sobriety. And um, as it turned out, he came home and... Uh, and we decided uh, that we would try to stay together because my sponsor told me I could do anything as long as I kept the program of Alcoholics Anonymous number one in my life. Uh, she told me that I could do anything as long as uh, uh, AA was my, uh, my uh, priority, my top priority. And so we got a little apartment in the alley behind the House of Hope. They said don't get too far away, so we didn't get too far away. And... Um, and life just got better and better and better the way they told me it would. And uh, we were about eight months sober and they said that, uh, my husband said it was, uh, it was time for uh, our kids to come home. And my mother-in-law said it was long past time for our kids to come home. <laughs> and I said I wasn't ready. Uh, it's a good thing nobody waited for me to get ready or uh, they never would have come home. I never... Um, I've never tried to make anybody, uh, give anybody the impression that I was uh, Mother Earth, that I was the best mother in the world. Uh, I just know today that I did the best I could do at the time with what I had to work with. The women here have always told me that. Thank God for the women in this program who have walked with me and told me that I did the best I could do. And uh, I used to think that they were just giving me a way out. They were just making excuses for me. Uh, and I know today when I tell a new woman that she's done the very best she could do, I know it's the truth. And I know that it was the truth for me. Um, anyway, they came home. The two youngest ones came home, the boy and the girl. Uh, my oldest son didn't come home till he was about 18 years old. Um, but this boy and this girl came home, and I'll never forget the day we went over to pick them up from their grandmother's house. They'd been there this two years, and uh, most of the time before then. And I remember uh, they were in the back seat of this little car we had, and we pulled around the turned the corner and pulled up in front of this apartment building. We'd rented an apartment and and went down and got bunk beds for these kids and tried to um, tried to get things fixed up as good as we could for them. And uh, I remember my little girl started to cry uh, because she was afraid. She didn't know me, and I didn't know her, and uh, she didn't want to come home and live with me. And um, and it wasn't an easy situation. I didn't know if I could stay sober and go through this. I didn't know if I could look them in the face, even one of them, and uh, experience the guilt uh, that I still felt. By this time, I had taken a fourth and fifth step, and I had experienced uh, freedom and, um, and freedom from guilt and freedom from shame like I'd never known before. But it didn't all go away from me in just one sitting. Uh, it took um, it took a lot of talking. Uh, it took a lot of um, a lot of activity, a lot of action inside and outside in this program for me uh, before I could be free from that kind of guilt. Um, anyway, I didn't know if I could stay sober 
uh, and go to these meetings and, and be uh, the kind of mother I was supposed to be. And um, all these people around me told me, you can do anything one day at a time. You just go to AA and you keep that number one in your life and everything else will come around. And I'm so very glad that those people didn't tell me, just stay home and join the PTA and bake cookies and try to be the best mother you can be or I'd be dead today. Uh, I, I just couldn't, it didn't work that way for me. It would be nice, I know some women come here and they just get, it just, they're able to do their home life very well at, from the very beginning, but that wasn't my experience. And I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not the only woman in this program that's had that experience. And so I did the best I could do. And I'm very grateful that nobody told me when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous that if I got sober, everybody around me would get sober and everything would be all right. Uh, they just told me that I could find sobriety in this program and my life would get better. And that's exactly what's happened. And anything else that's happened around me is a fringe benefit, something that uh, just came along, uh, something that was somebody else's story. Uh, my life, I got sober and I have stayed sober in this program and my life has gotten better on a daily basis. Sometimes it looks like I'm going backwards, but I know that I'm going forward as long as I stay in AA and I don't take a drink. It turned out that... Um, uh, my uh, my youngest son had a lot of problems, lots of bad problems, and uh, we had a lot of trouble, and he had a lot of trouble, and we ended up having to go get him out of jail the first time when he was 11 years old, and and it was a grotesque situation, and uh, and it was a painful situation. I thought I was through with jails and courthouses and probation officers and psychiatrists and and all that kind of stuff, but it turns out I wasn't. Uh, my husband and I, though, at least, we were sober and we were able to, to walk through these things together uh, with our head up. Um, I remember the day that I had to take my son to uh, and put him in a psychiatric hospital. And uh, it came time for the, the, the doctor was going to come in and start asking all these questions and I just didn't think I was going to be able to stand it. And I remember being able to go into the bathroom um, and be quiet there. And... Uh, Thank God that this program had given me a God of my understanding because I don't know what I would have done without it that day. Uh, I was able to go in that bathroom and ask him for some strength and ask him to just please help me to just not break down and cry because I didn't want to scare him any more than he already was. And I was able to come out of that bathroom and answer the questions and walk out of that hospital and leave my son there uh, without, uh, without breaking down. And I had a meeting to go to that night, and I had people that loved me uh, walking me through all those, all those years of my sobriety. Uh, in September, uh, well, it is September, September 22nd, he's going to celebrate four years of sobriety. And uh, he's a good member of Alcoholics Anonymous. He's been loved well by the people here just the same way that his father has been loved well and the way that I've been loved well. And like I say, I'm proud of him today. He is a good member of Alcoholics Anonymous. He's into everything. He's kind of like his mother. <laughs> and uh, you can't hold him down. He's an active kid. And um, and I love him today. And I'm glad that we can share this program. We still don't. We're just not just real, real close. But uh, but it's better than it ever was before. And he was in this program maybe two or three months. And he called me up one day and we were talking. And he said, isn't it, isn't it neat that we've got something to talk about now? That we can have something to share together? And uh, it's just Alcoholics Anonymous that's given us that. Um, my daughter was a, a normal child. Um, just perfectly wonderful. She was so wonderful it scared us. 
Um, we'd come home from an AA meeting at night, and there'd be a little plate of cookies there with a little note, I love you, Mom and Dad. And she was maybe 14, 15 years old and asleep in her bed, and we'd think, God, this is amazing. Doesn't she know she doesn't have to do what we want her to do? She could be out running the streets, and we just felt so lucky. Um, she was a cheerleader in a little Christian high school, and it was just wonderful. We kept her very busy and took credit for her normalcy. Um, <laughs> thought we really had the key. All you have to do is give them modeling lessons and this kind of lessons and that kind of lessons. Keep them busy. Keep them moving, and um, they'll be okay. I'll, I can spare anybody here who has that idea. Save yourself a lot of energy and a lot of time. It doesn't work. Um, she came in drunk one night, and... Um, she came in drunk a lot of nights after that. And I told my husband right from the very beginning, I don't think I'm going to be able to go through this again. And um, in my head was a voice saying, uh, you can do anything. There were a lot of voices. Uh, Tell me you can do anything uh, one day at a time if you have this program. And that's true. I want to pass this on to anybody who is here tonight that has any children that are out there on the streets drinking. Don't give up hope uh, because um, they're never hopeless, never hopeless as long as they're alive. And uh, this program can work for them. Um, and, um, and they might get here and they might not. I had to come to a place where I knew that uh, it was just a possibility that my kids were going to die drunk out on the streets. And uh, I was just going to have to learn to accept that. And that's what happened. Um, eventually my daughter got to this program and she came in and out for a long time and never was able to stay sober and uh, two years ago last May um, she got sober and uh, I saw it happen to her I was sitting at a dinner table one night and I saw it happen I saw the miracle happen to her I saw the light come in her eyes I saw the understanding I saw the identification happen for her. I saw the hope come in her face. And um, and she's been in AA ever since. And she married another member of this program. And, and um, next month she's going to give us our first grandchild. And, um, and I'm going to be a grandmother. And I'm going to be uh, just as crazy as any grandmother. <laughs> My sponsor says I can spoil the grandbaby if I want to. <laughs> and so that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I was too sick to spoil my own kids, and so uh, now I'm just sick enough to spoil my granddaughter. <laughs> Life is very good for me today. My husband and I bought a house, and uh, we live in our own home today. And... Um, I know what it feels like to have security. I've known what it felt like to have security for a long time now. Uh, I stood in front of a judge when I was three or four months sober. And uh, turned out that he told me I was free to go and I knew what security felt like for the first time in my life. And I knew what freedom felt like for the first time in my life. Not because that judge gave it to me, but because the people of Alcoholics Anonymous gave it to me. They showed me the way to a place where I could find freedom and I could find security and I could find uh, joy in my life. When I took my fifth step with my uh, first sponsor, uh, to me she was like an angel. I just thought, God, this woman is so clean and so perfect and, uh, 
and I didn't want to tell her all these things, but I knew I had to, and I felt like I was just throwing mud all over her, and uh, I couldn't look at her. And I, remember I was sitting on the floor, and she was sitting in a chair. And when I got through, she just uh, uh, patted me on the shoulder, and she said, Do you know what God wants for you, honey? And I said, What? And she said, He just wants you to be happy, joyous, and free. He loves you. And, um, and my life has never been the same. My life has never been the same since I ran into people like you and you showed me how to live. Today I have a lot of stuff inside me that I never thought was going to be mine. I spend a lot of time by myself, alone, quiet, and uh, I like it that way. Um, I'm not afraid to be alone anymore with my thoughts. My thoughts aren't grim and morbid and negative anymore. I have hope today and I have a purpose for living. And uh, my house is, uh, is full of love. My life is full of love. People who love me and people that, that I can love. Um, I'm full of active activity in this program. And uh, I have learned to be able to receive love here and to give love. When I was new, I used to shop in junk stores a lot. And uh, one day I found a little wooden plaque. And uh, I don't know what it meant to the person that threw it away, but I know it means a lot to me, and I've had it hanging in my house ever since I found it. It's got some keys painted on it, and uh, it says the keys to the kingdom. And it reminds me of that place in the big book that says now there's a sense of belonging, of being wanted, needed, and loved in, replace of a hang in, in the place of a hangover and a bottle. I've been given the keys to the kingdom. Thank you.